We have a new show at Turpentine that's been in the works for a long time, Company Breakdowns. We dive into S1s and Series B and Beyond companies, interviewing founders and investors to break down the companies. First episode is on Rubrik, which IPO'd this week. Upcoming episodes cover Reddit, Databricks, and more. Subscribe at the link in the description or search for Company Breakdowns on YouTube or in the podcast platform of your choice. Welcome to History 102, where YouTube creator What If Alt Hists, Rudyard Lynch, and I dive into critical moments in history and tease out patterns to help us predict the future. Let's jump right in. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, I loved our episode on the the Vikings l- last week, and um, we yeah. hinted a bit at uh, at Rome, and so I thought we'd do a, a deep dive uh, this week on sure. the, on the fall of Rome. What maybe why don't you uh, segue from the Vikings to the to the fall of Rome? I always find it funny you call these deep dives since Dan Carlin, his World War One podcast is twenty four hours. Um, <laughs> A lot of history books in these topics are 1,000 pages. And so to me, these are these are brief summaries. Yes, but yes. Um, I understand that if you're not a historian and you need to take care of your kids and run your business, <laughs> that you need to speed this up. And so that's why I'm here. Um, yes, exactly. I'm glad we're doing the fall of Rome because I said before the Vikings are one of my favorite eras of history. The fall of Rome is actually my favorite ever. It's the topic I've studied the most. And um, my favorite era of history is the Dark Ages, or the period between the fall of Rome until roughly the Crusades. And I'm also really in the Middle Ages as well. And the fall of Rome is one of those time periods where no one really knows what to think about it. Because with complex historical patterns, an issue you frequently run into is that no one can really explain why they happened. And I have my own theory for the fall of Rome, and people have been batting them around for thousands of years, where the fall of Rome is, it's one of the most important events in European history, but it took centuries to occur. And so through the course of this podcast, we're going to tease out why the Roman Empire fell. And it's hard to really talk about because the period we're going to cover in this video is roughly 180 AD to 450 AD, where the fall of Rome took decades, took centuries, and it was, imagine this giant that's gradually getting attacked by mosquitoes, and there's no one point where the Roman Empire definitively had no will left to live. It's this gradual accumulation of variables that killed this giant. Before getting into the theories, maybe let's conceptualize before we talk about the fall of Rome, what why don't you talk about the rise of Rome? I, was, I said contextualize. Contextualize Rome. They had, they had a lot of... It was a society <laughs> where a prostitute cost as much as a loaf of bread. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, con- contextualize. Uh, talk about the rise of Rome to begin. Why don't you give some of the historical context? So, the Roman Empire is a thousand-year time period, or the Roman, the Roman state, where... Rome was this tiny city in central Italy that it was just a village. And then the Romans, through sheer force of will and intelligence, and Rome is an example for the rest of history of how many things can go right if you like follow your dreams and work hard and all that stuff. <laughs> Where the Romans started building up alliances of all these states in central Italy. And Rome was a democracy, and there are very few democracies in that era of history. And so what that meant was the Romans could pull on their population a lot harder and get a lot more loyalty out of their population than other states. And the Romans are just one of the populations you see in history with the most will of anyone. It's shocking to read stories of early Rome because these people had tremendous grit. They're the ultimate can-do. And you'll hear stories, in one war, the Romans lost 70% of their upper class and they kept fighting, or 70% of men in their upper class, and they kept fighting. And over time, Rome just expanded without even thinking about it. The Romans were so much more effective than everyone in their neighborhood that they never planned on having an empire. They just kept on beating everyone. And once they beat someone else, they got pulled into another war. And so almost unwittingly, the Romans ended up dominating the entire, almost the entire known world from Britain to Syria. 
And who who, did, who ruled before them, or kind of who were their biggest uh, com- competitors, or who did they they take over from? I'm going to put up a map of this as I talk about it, but it was a patchwork of a bunch of things where Rome was a real globalizing force, and I think the American Empire is a decently similar proxy where. Before America and before the superpower age we live in today, all the different European countries had colonial empires. You had empires like the Ottoman Turks, um, the Chinese, and it was similar where the Romans seized power, where the Greeks, the Greek world was the most powerful thing they knew about. And China was doing its own thing that they didn't know about China back then. And the Greeks owned everything out to India, the entirety of the Middle East. The Greeks had a lot of people in Italy, North Africa. And so there were all these independent Greek kingdoms. And there were um Car- there were North there were there was the Kingdom of Carthage or the Republic of Carthage in North Africa. And then you had tribes like the Celts and the Germans, etc. And so it was a combination of a bunch of different political forces that the Romans just squashed. And the Romans made this centralized empire that stretched from again, Western France and Britain all the way to Syria and Arabia. And it created what was called the Roman peace or the Pax Romana, where as Rome crushed all of its enemies, it promoted a period of mass wealth and stability and comfort that lasted for 200 years. From before the birth of Christ until 180 AD, there were never any major wars. There were some wars out in the front, front lines with the Persians, They had some fighting with the barbarians, but for the average person living in France or Italy or Syria or Turkey, it was a 200-year period of complete stability. And that's something that, until very recently, people really looked back on that time period and were nostalgic for it because the most popular book on uh, the fall of Rome, Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which was written at the exact same time as the American Revolution— the first page is the author in the 1700s saying that that period of the Roman peace was the best time for the human race ever. And I do think that he was simping for the Romans, where there were things where by the time you get to the 17th century, 18th century, the society was much more technologically advanced. It um, There were a lot of things the world of the 18th century did much better than the Romans. But if you want to look at peace, stability, and even stuff like architecture and cleanliness, the Romans were the most advanced society for the 2,000 years up to then. They were more advanced than almost any society until the Industrial Revolution. And it's and if you imagine the guy, Gibbon, when he was writing at the time of the American Revolution, France was always fighting England, they were always fighting Austria, they were always fighting... Europe was this squabbling bunch of fighting kingdoms. and so. People envied the Roman Empire and the peace and stability that it brought. And and what led to that being some of the best um, to best times in history? Was it sort of the institutions that the Romans had? Was it certain religious or cultural practices, or sort of what led to their unique uh, unique excellence there? It's the Romans, as I said before, the Romans they had a tremendous amount of grit. You can't beat the Romans in a battle of willpower. The The Carthaginians were the Romans' biggest enemy. They were a state based in North Africa. Um, they had one of the best generals in history, Hannibal Barca. And he... The Carthaginians had one of the best generals ever. And the Carthaginians weren't a weak society. They were pretty strong. They were smart people. And they couldn't beat the Romans because the Romans kept on making army after army, and they could never, they couldn't beat Roman army number five. And for the first few centuries of Rome, and this changed, the Romans weren't particularly good at war. They they would often lose to other countries, but the thing is, the Roman and the, their military wasn't more advanced than the other countries around them, where they just had more willpower than their enemies. And they kept on making more and more men. And that did change where uh, around 100 BC, the Romans went through a bunch of innovations that made sure that they had the most advanced army in the world by a vast margin. Um, China's a competitor too, but again, China was so far away, they never thought about it. And the second thing is the Romans were incredibly practical. The Romans actually have a lot of similarity with the Americans, where the Americans, we have a very strong can-do spirit, and we're um, 
very practical and were te- technologically very advanced. Where the Romans, the reason they could get so many men to fight for them was they built an alliance structure where they helped their allies. So their allies were willing to die for them. And the Romans were incredibly good at conquering a territory and then incorporating the people they conquered peacefully into them. So by the time you get to the period we're talking about, the Romans had converted a giant area of the world to their culture, where people, Celtic people in France or uh, the native peoples in Spain or the North Africans, by the time 200 AD or where we're going to get to, they saw themselves as Roman, where the Romans assimilated their empire, and the Roman Empire was split culturally into two areas. There was a Latin Roman West, and there was a Greek East. Because as the Romans conquered the Greek East, and this is areas like Turkey, the Balkans, um, the Middle East, they had to pull on Greek culture in order to do so. And so the, the eastern half of the empire, even though it was run by Italian Romans, it was culturally Greek. And that was a fault line you saw as the empire got weaker, where as the central authority weakened, the eastern Greek half and the western Latin half split apart into different countries and eventually different civilizations, that being orthodox and western civilization. And, and yeah, I'm speaking for the audience, although this includes me as someone who really doesn't know much about this time period. Can you say more about what is the relationship, if at all, or inspiration behind sort of classic Rome and, and ancient Greece? So they're different, but they're very close. Where the, it's not like America, where most Americans are descended from immigrants from Europe. It's that the Italians and the Greeks are different people, but they were culturally so close that they could intermesh. Where the native people talk about the Roman and the Greek gods, and they actually were different gods. Jupiter is a different god than Zeus, but their cultures were so similar that they became interchangeable. Where the Romans would use Zeus interchangeably from their top god, Jupiter, or Minerva and Athena. And so these were very culturally close peoples. Then the Greeks spread around the Mediterranean, and the Greeks spread their culture to the Romans. And so the Romans, all educated Romans spoke Greek, because Greek was the language of civilization. And then as the Romans conquered Greece, they enslaved large amounts of Greeks. And then as they enslaved those Greeks and brought them back to Italy, that mixed their culture together. So what you're seeing is two cultures that started out in a very similar place, but through mixing together, basically became the same thing. Where the Romans saw the Greeks as their same culture, where the Romans actually gave the Greeks originally a lot of self-governance because they respected the Greeks as a higher civilization. And it's similar to how when America liberated Europe after World War II, we made the European Union, we made... uh, we gave the countries in Europe self-governance because we respected the Europeans in the same way the Romans respected the Greeks. What happened afterwards, though, was the Greek civilization was falling apart, and so the Romans had to continually intervene into Greece to keep it stable. And as that happened four times, the Romans just lost respect for the Greeks and then took away their self-governance, except on paper. And that was something that happened with large parts of the Roman Empire, where the Romans often tried to remain isolationist, and then they get sucked back into wars all around them. Because keep in mind, Italy's in the center of the map. And so you have to protect Italy on all sides. And so the Romans often tried to have self-governance, but then they, um, they had to keep conquering areas to keep them stable. And by the time we're talking about these barriers between colonies and Italy, didn't really make sense, where the Roman Empire wasn't about Italy anymore. You had Roman emperors from Syria or Spain or North Africa. And what this did was it changed the identity of Rome from there being Italy and everyone else being Italy's colony. And a big change that occurred right the sort of the period we're talking about was there was this huge barrier between being a Roman citizen and not where Roman citizens had a completely different legal code than the the subjects of the empire, even if you were a Roman citizen who was living in a place where 99% of the population weren't Roman citizens. You still had to be tried by, you still had completely different legal rights. And 
That got erased where everyone became a Roman citizen around 200 AD. But by that point, it meant nothing because Rome, over the first previous centuries before then, had gone from a democracy to being an authoritarian oligarchy where no one had any rights and everyone was equal in their lack of rights. And what were the impacts of that transition, yeah, either positive and negative? One of my, uh, my friends, Philippe Fabry, I, I view him as French what-a-faultist because he does everything I do on what-a-faultist at looking at these historic patterns. He wrote a book called Libertarian to Socialist, which is an economic history of Rome. And Rome went through a bunch of profound social changes. So the Rome that we're talking about at the fall of the empire is fundamentally a completely different society from what it was uh, they're the Rome that we think about. The Rome we think about, they're worshiping pagan gods, everyone's wearing togas, they're carrying the short swords, and the Rome that we're going to deal with here is a totally different society. Um, first of all, the Romans are wearing pants. Pants were a barbarian fashion, um, where to ride a horse, it's more comfortable to wear pants than to wear a robe because your, your crotch is constantly chafing against the horse. The Romans started using long swords, this is a late Roman cavalry sword. We keep on covering historic topics I have weapons on, so I have to pull them out. Um, Amazing. And Rome was a socialist theocracy where the centralized government, and this was a long process where I'll, I'll, uh, I got to explain the backstory to this. By the time you get to the third century, Rome was a socialist authoritarian state with a basically god emperor who dictated the population, and the by, by the third century, the government managed the entire economy. And I have to get back to, I have to explain why that happened, because it'll make sense once I explain the historical process through which that occurred. But the reason the Roman Empire died was they lost all of the things that made them special in the first place. And let me tell you how that happened, where it's the year 180. Uh, Marcus Aurelius, who is a Stoic philosopher and one of he's one of the most respected Roman emperors, he died, and his son Commodus was a complete idiot. And Commodus spent the entire treasury on gladiatorial games to please the population. And the Romans did a thing called bread circuses, where they would spend bread or welfare and do giant sporting events for the population as a way to keep the population entertained so that they wouldn't uh, care about losing their freedoms. And so Commodus spent his money on bread circuses. Then he started purging his political enemies. And uh, his some people saw that they were on the list of people to get purged. And so they killed Commodus, where they hired his favorite gladiator to strangle him in his bathtub. The thing is that after Commodus died, there was no ruler for the empire. And so the empire collapsed into what been called the crisis of the third century and i've read a lot on the crisis of the third century and i will describe it for you guys in that it's basically not worthwhile to study where it's so relentlessly complicated and you're not really going to get any benefit out of studying it where what happened was that the romans completely lost any social trust as a society where before and the romans were a very they were a very proud they were a very high trust they were a very functioning society but as they grew wealthier and safer they lost the social impetus to hold themselves together and the nobility the nobility of the people who built rome but over time the nobility turned to complete degeneracy so what happened was the army took over society and then the army collapsed into complete degeneracy and so for the entire 3rd century or for 150 years between 180 and 330, there was no stable government. It was just generals jockeying for leadership, where one general would say, I declare myself emperor. Another general would say, I declare myself emperor. And so it was constant civil war for 150 years. And over the crisis of the third century, the Roman Empire's population collapsed to less than two-thirds of what it was before. And this is through a combination, the Black Death attacked Rome, there were barbarian invasions, and the civil wars. And so by the time you get to 330, the empire had far fewer people, it was a lot poorer place, and there was no social trust. And Rome became a military dictatorship, where it was run by these local tribal commanders from the Balkans. And so these 
the Romans couldn't hire their own population to fight anymore because the normal Roman citizens had grown weak. And so they weren't willing to fight. The Romans started hiring these barbarians from inside the empire, from places like the mountains of the Balkans, Turkey, France. And these barbarian emperors, through military dictatorships, seized control of the society. There were two problems here. The first is that they had no understanding of the economy, so they drove it into the ground, where they printed so much money that currency became completely useless. And secondly, they installed a socialist command economy in which they in which you had to work the same job as your parents you wouldn't get paid and they'd basically whip you if you didn't work and everyone had to do an assigned amount of work for the government and so what this did with the combination of a non-functioning currency and a forced a forced command economy is that the roman empire just ground to a halt no one had kids no one made new projects, and the population went into decline. And so through this very top-down, oppressive government, which was installed, they installed this because there were so many, there was a hundred years of war. And in that hundred years of civil wars, there stopped being, the only way you could make things work was through force. And so you ended up in this low-trust uh, cycle in which, Things just got worse and worse, and as things got worse, people trusted each other less, which meant the population declined more, which meant people stopped cooperating, was just, you got in this really nasty cycle. And was the fall just a slow a slow decline over, over a thousand years, or were there ups and downs in times where before where it looked like it could have declined, but then a great ruler yeah. came and revived it? Was the kind it's of a two tier thing. So the the first, it's a two step process. The first process is the crisis of the third century, which I told you about. So this is 180 AD to 330. For spoilers, the Roman Empire falls in 450. So this is a 200 year over a 250 year process. So keep in mind, this is something that took many many lifetimes, and no one at the time thought Rome was falling. They thought Rome would be like China, where China has faced barbarian invasions and China has had gone through different dynasties, but China always survives. And it wasn't until the empire fell in the 400s that, the, that people thought the empire would fall. And so the first step, as I said before, the crisis of the third century, with all these generals fighting each other in civil wars, in plague and famine, and then the installation of this very oppressive society that slowed down previous growth. and. Then the empire reformed again, and there was a 70-year period in which the empire was able to stabilize, where uh, under the emperors Diocletian and Constantine, they rebuilt the empire, but the problem is that it was an incredibly oppressive—it's one of the most unequal societies ever in human history, um, and the population was in decline— and the, they converted the empire to Christianity because the Christians had been a tiny minority religion that the Roman Empire persecuted because the Christians were dangerous. They were seen as, they were seen as insane people. And over time, what happened was that as the Roman Empire got weaker and weaker, the ruling class thought, wait, no one believes in us anymore, so why don't we bring the outsiders in and we can use Christianity to hold the empire together? So the empire turned out Christian, but the problem with this new stabilization was that it was incredibly weak, and the empire was only barely holding together. And then out of the east came the Huns, and the Huns set into in, set a bunch of balls rolling that finally destroyed the empire. So to summarize, the empire had centuries of instability. They were able to barely hold things together, and then a new tribe of barbarians came out of the east, and then that's what finally destroyed the empire. And, and so what did the Huns do exactly? How, what, what, what balls did they set in motion and what, was it deliberate and you know, where did things go from there? Yeah. Um, to answer your previous question, the point where, the last point in my opinion where I think the empire could have survived, and this is where I made my alternate history on what if Roman Empire never fell, was I think in the 260s, um, the Roman, the Italian nobility had agreed to band together to put a stop to these constant generals from the frontiers who are trying to launch these coup d'etats. And they elected a leader named, no joke, Pupianus. 
It was a deeply aristocratic and noble Italian name at the time. And Pupi Anus established a military force. He fought back the barbarians. He already, not, when I'm saying barbarians, I mean people who were Roman citizens, but are from like the, the primitive societies inside the Roman Empire. This would be like if rednecks from Appalachia were taking over the U.S. government. And, um, and so the Roman culture at that time became very, it became very redneck, where people would dress in, in fashion that Roman rednecks would wear, and people who were from the countryside would run the government. And then what happened was that one of Pupianus's allies stabbed him. And this is a problem why the Roman Empire fell, because it became such a cutthroat, low-trust society that anyone who did well would literally get backstabbed by one of their allies. And so no one could do anything without anyone else trying to kill them. And so it just became this constant fighting. But through this constant fighting, there was no ability to centralize and bring peace. And from that peace, prosperity and birth increase in the birth rate and trade. But to get back to the Huns, the Huns are a tribe from Mongolia, and they fought the Chinese for centuries. And so when you watch the, the movie Mulan... Um, the barbarians, the Disney movie Mulan, they're fighting. They're the ancestors of the Huns who attacked the Roman Empire. That was 400 years. That was like 600 years before that. And so the Huns kept migrating west from Mongolia across the grasslands to modern Ukraine and Eastern Europe. And a really common trend you see over history is the tribes from Central Asia attacking west to get wetter pastures and these tribes, they, they, they had no settled territory, and they would have herds of sheep and cows, and they would attack on horseback. And the reason they were able to consistently beat opponents who were so, had so many more men was because the mobility offered to them by their armies that were purely on horseback meant they could ride circles around their enemies, and they just had significantly more mobility. And so the, the Huns pushed into Eastern Europe and settled in Hungary. That's where the, there's a backstory here, but the, the name Hungary is because it's where, it's where the Hunnish base, base was. And in that time period, all of Eastern Europe was settled by German tribes, where the Slavs, who are the modern inhabitants of Ukraine and Poland and Bulgaria and stuff, the Slavs had started their migration. They were still out in the swamps of North Ukraine. So all of Ukraine and Eastern Europe was settled by German tribes. And then what happened was as the Huns invaded Ukraine and Hungary and Germany, is that made these German tribes migrate west into the empire because the Huns were going to kill them. And so all these tribes, like the Goths, the Vandals, the Alans, the Swabi, they had to attack into, they had to migrate into the Roman Empire as refugees to survive. But the Roman Empire was so weak that it couldn't sustain that. Well, well articulated. And, and so let, let's kind of re recap. Why don't you briefly resummarize how you see the main reasons for, for, for why, why the collapse happened? So why you think the Roman Empire fell is in many ways a Rorschach test, where this is something that took hundreds of years, and there's multiple ways that you can choose to look at it. And there's a bunch of different threads you can pull on. And the mistake people often make is they try to pick a single one of those threads and then use it to explain everything. Where, for example, the climate got colder. And yes, that is a factor. But if the Roman Empire was really healthy and the climate got colder, it wouldn't have changed anything. Also, military technology changed, where you went from armies of foot soldiers to armies on horseback. And the armies, the Romans, the Romans were incredible at having foot soldiers. And when they had to fight enemies on horses, that gave the barbarians an advantage. That's another thread. But it's one of like five, it's one of five threads you can pull on. And so I already gave two reasons. Two that I would not ignore, I think are the biggest, is one is that the Roman Empire just got degenerate, where the if you want to compare Rome and China, because Rome and China formed at the same time, but China is still a country today, and the Roman and the Chinese empires were the same size, but Rome died and China didn't. And a big reason is the Chinese had a stronger religion, which maintains social cohesion. Where in Confucianism, a lord is not allowed to abuse his own followers. In Confucianism, you have a moral duty to your followers. In Rome, 
That wasn't the case. A quarter of the Roman Empire's population were slaves, and the slaves had no incentive to cooperate in the system. And Rome was a vastly unequal society, and the nobility and the upper classes became completely degenerate. Where there's like you hear about orgies, you hear about giant feasting, you hear about them enslaving people and breaking laws and killing each other. And basically, the moral collapse in Rome meant it removed the ability to cooperate across the society. And the Romans, because they hadn't had any serious wars, they lost the ability to fight. And so a big factor is just the loss of social cohesion among the Roman society. And as an example for this, the elite under the, under the Roman peace, it was the army, where Rome, we often view Rome as a monarchy, where there was an emperor. Rome was really a military dictatorship, where whoever ran the military uh, it's Rome in a political system much closer to fascism than a monarchy, where whoever was the first citizen, uh, which is what literally the Romans, they called their leader the first citizen, would run. And the reason Rome became a military dictatorship was because the tr previous nobility that Rome was based off, they just became completely degenerate. But then the Roman Empire fell when the army became degenerate because the army was the last organization that was holding the empire together. And so reason one is the Romans turning degenerate. Reason two is the collapse of, Rome, is the collapse of Rome's population, where Rome saw a decline in birth rates. And with the decline in birth rates, and this is, this is also connected to degeneracy because as the traditional values and the religion got weaker, the, the birth rate collapsed too, where one of my favorite historians, Will Durant, um, he's one of the greatest historians ever, I think, when he was asked what was the biggest thing that killed Roman civilization, he said it was the collapse in birth rate. Because once the Romans stopped having young people, no one would fight in the wars, the population went into decline, and the barbarians on the edges of the empire, they had large birth rates. So their population expanded while Europe's declined. And so to summarize, Rome fell for a bunch of reasons. You can say military technology, climate, but culture, cultural changes leading to degeneracy and infighting and a decline in birth rate. And say more about this Warshak test in terms of why is there such a uh, sort of wide agreement or disagreement on wh why Rome fell or what explains yeah. the different perspectives that people might it's, have based on the difference? It's because it's such a long and such a big process that you can tease out a bunch of trends. And um, an example of this is the one of the most famous history books ever is Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, where Gibbon was an Enlightenment thinker who he didn't like Christianity because he viewed Christianity as it's like this primitive force holding back society. And so he said the rise of Christianity was the thing that killed uh, Roman civilization. Because he said Christianity promoted pacifism and degeneracy. And I personally disagree with that because the Roman Empire was falling for 150 years before they adopted Christianity. They adopted Christianity as a side effect of them falling. And then it didn't solve the issue. But if you have different political agendas, you can pull on different themes to see why the Roman Empire fell. Or Brian Fagan, um, he said the Roman Empire fell to, due to climate reasons. And Brian, Brian Fagan, his, he's a histor, historian of the climate. And so he kind of has an agenda there. And there's policies, politics around climate change. Um, and to be honest, like if you look at the things I talk about um, and the kind of things I, I discuss in my channel, is it a surprise that I think the two biggest reasons are moral degeneracy and collapse in birth rate? Because those are things I talk a lot about in our current society. <laughs> yes, some some similarities for sure. Um, could you give a, also just a brief overview for people who are new to the time period, like myself, just some of the major uh, people or, or sort of most major inflection points? Uh, you know, if you were talking about America, you might say, you know, George Washington. Yeah. The founding, you might say Abraham Lincoln, you know, et cetera. Like, what, what do you give uh, some of the yeah. cause the rise and maybe who caused the fall? There aren't that many great figures with the fall of Rome. It's an era of history in which these giant, um, in which these giant sub, these giant forces gradually grind down a great empire. And so there aren't that many people like George Washington or, um, 
Abraham Lincoln or Julius Caesar, who they're just historic figures. And it's the problem with the fall of Rome is there's no single place you can point where it was just doomed. And I used the example before of poopy anus, and I think that's kind of an arbitrary line. You could put it 50 years earlier, 50 years later. Um, but the most interesting and cataclysmic moment where you think of the great historic events came after the Huns drove into Europe because the Huns built this giant empire stretching from the Netherlands out to Kazakhstan. The, the Hunnish empire was nearly as big as the Roman empire, but it was all incredibly underpopulated areas. So the Hunnish empire probably had like less than 10 million people and the Roman empire had like 70 million people. Um, and the Huns were led by their leader, Attila the Hun. And Attila the Hun is someone, he's probably the only historic figure that most people have heard of from this time period. And Attila was a great man. And the Hun Empire was basically built entirely off his charisma, where once Attila died, the entire Hun Empire just fell to shreds because his charisma was the thing that was keeping it going and his genius. and. And Attila, his goal was to basically destroy Rome. And the guy who was fighting him is also one of the great figures of this age called Aetius. And Aetius was the Roman commander. And he was actually raised among the Huns, where he, he grew up as a, as a hostage for the Huns. And so he knew their tactics. He, he knew how they thought. And so when Attila was attacking into attacking into Western Europe, and there's a wonderful story here where the, the, the emperor of the Western Roman Empire at this point, he was a teenager, and his sister, Honoria, she was having an affair, and her brother didn't like that, so he killed the commoner that she was having an affair with, and then she told Attila, if you attack Rome and get me away from my teenage brother I hate, I will give you France as a dowry. And Attila said, sure, I'm going to take you up on that. And so <laughs> this weird family drama just created this giant war. And Aetius had to, because France was the most populous and wealthy province of the Roman Empire. And so Aetius had to gather together an army of all these disparate forces to fight off the Huns. And he got a bunch of bandit tribes from the northwest of France. He got the Visigoths, who were a German tribe living in the southwest of France. And he got a little bit of the Romans. And the reason the Roman Empire fell was by the, getting to the point here in the 400s, the Romans couldn't, literally couldn't raise armies. The Romans couldn't find men to fight for them. They couldn't collect taxes. So Rome was completely dependent on paying off these barbarian tribes. And the Romans were able to defeat the Huns at the Battle of Catalonian Fields, where they fought for three days, and after a bunch of brutal fighting, the Huns were defeated. And this saved Rome from the Huns. And then the thing is, Aetius couldn't keep his army together, and so it disbanded. Attila attacked Italy, and he went down to Rome, and he had a conversation with the Pope in Rome before he was to besiege the city. And the Pope got him to convince to pull out from it. And I, the, the, we don't know what happened in that conversation, but we think what was happening was that Attila's army was dying of malaria. And what the Pope said was, this is God's punishment to you for attacking Rome. And then Attila died of a nosebleed the next day. And it could be a nosebleed. There's also a myth that his new wife was a, from a conquered tribe, and his new wife killed him on, in, when they had just married. And I just find that period of history and the like, the period around Attila, it's something worthy of Game of Thrones. It's just such an incredibly dramatic time period. Fascinating. Say more about what happened after Pax Romana fell. What happened? How did sort of the the shape of the the, the geopolitics yeah. of the world time emerge? So, I've had to jump around chronologically, and when the Huns invaded into Central Europe, it pushed a bunch of German tribes. And one of them were the Visigoths. Um, and the Visigoths were a German tribe originally from Sweden, and they were living in Romania. And the Huns pushed them into the Balkans. And the Romans, the Romans couldn't deal with all these Germanic refugees. So they put them in refugee camps. 
but then they didn't feed the refugees. So the Goths rebelled against the Romans because they were starving. And the Goths slaughtered a Roman army at the Battle of Adrianople. And this was so shocking because the Romans never lost battles. And so with Adrianople, this was after the empire had been able to stabilize after the crisis of the third century. And people thought the Roman Empire was invincible. And so after the Goths slaughtered this Roman army, it made people realize, wait, Rome can actually be pretty weak. And so after that point, the Romans settled these Germanic tribes in different reservations around the empire. And they would give German people's reservation lands in exchange to have them fight for the Romans because the the Romans weren't willing to fight anymore and they were so disorganized, they had to only use Germans to fight for them. And this was the point the empire fell because the Germans had no loyalty to the empire. And what gradually happened was the Romans surrendered their entire empire to these Germanic reservations. And what the power relationship changed over time were the Germans started demanding these lands, and these became independent kingdoms. And so you had all these Germanic tribes ransacking across the empire, and the Romans would give them territory so they wouldn't ransack them, but then the Germans would just attack again and the empire collapsed. And so these different Germanic kingdoms became different European countries. The Visigoths took Spain, and that became Spain. The Franks took France, and that became France. The Vandals took North Africa. Um, and so you had all of these Germanic peoples take over the Western Empire, and the Eastern Empire survived. They kept going. They, they were wealthier. They didn't have as bad a border with the Germans, and they still had a, a functioning elite. Um, and so when we talk about the fall of the Roman Empire, we're really talking about the fall of the Western Empire. And Rome got sacked twice. One was once was under the Visigoths, and what happened there was that the Visigoths asked the Romans, hey, give us more territory. The Romans said no, so they just sacked Rome. And the second time was under the Vandal tribes. And again, what happened was the Vandals asked a concession from the Romans. The Romans said no, so the Vandals sacked Rome. And over time, Rome got weaker and weaker because it couldn't face all these attacks until it just stopped existing. And for none of these tribes, they never thought Rome would die. They thought, we can just tear a little bit a bit away from the corpse. But then what happened was that everyone was tearing apart of the corpse, and Rome stopped existing past a certain point. Yeah, and that's a good, it's a good overview. What have we not discussed that is worth mentioning or worth getting into as it relates to either the fall of Rome or the, the sort of time period that yeah. Rome ruled generally or what happened after. Yeah. Um, let me talk about what happened after this and what the social effects of it were. Um, to start with, a misconception we have is that by the time we get to the fall of Rome, the Germanic tribes weren't savages. They had been in contact with the Romans for centuries. So these barbarian tribes who were conquering Rome, they knew how to read and write. They had militaries that were as organized as the Romans. They could speak Latin. They were well-armed. So Rome wasn't conquered by stupid people. And these were people who had studied the classics and they were educated. And when the Romans, when the German tribes conquered, when they sacked Rome, it was actually a peaceful sack, which is kind of shocking because by the time the Visigoths got to Rome for the sack of Rome, they had already converted to Christianity. And so they it was this peaceful, methodical sack of the city where they would go through the city, they'd take gold, no one died. And I, I like using that as an example because it's symbolic for how our image of history is sometimes incorrect. And Rome, by the time it fell, had become this parasitic organization where average height actually went up, and health and the wealth of the average peasants went up after the fall of Rome. And if you look at archaeology, um, quality of life for Roman people went up because they stopped having this oppressive, centralized government that was taxing them. And so the fall of Rome was a catastrophe on the group level, where cities stopped existing in Western Europe. Yes. Some areas lost writing, other areas 
they lost the ability to do the construction and the giant empire. That all left in the western half of the empire. And so on the civilizational basis, things collapsed. But then on the individual village level, life got better because there stopped being this parasitic government. I, I was going to ask, when you find yourself disagreeing with people about this this time period or what, what happened after, are there any sort of disagreements about the implications or significance? Yeah. So there are two historical schools with this. One is that the Germanic barbarians were savages who destroyed the Roman Empire, and this was a complete collapse of civilization. The second was that the fall of Rome wasn't a big deal, and that there was no decline in civilization, and that it was all mostly peaceful. The reality is somewhere between these two, where this was what was popular 100 years ago, this is what's popular five years ago. And I think we overcorrected in saying the fall of Rome was peaceful and it wasn't a big deal and that civilization didn't go into decline. It was a mix between these two. And and, and so that's my big issue with, with the way people study this era of history. And what I'd also say is that a giant factor that was occurring across all of this was that as the empire fell in the West, the church replaced it, where... The fathers of the church saw the empire was falling apart, and they built this, they built the Catholic church to keep the learning and the ideas from the Roman Empire going as the centralized government fell apart. And so when you look at the people who were continuing civilization through the Dark Ages or the 500 years after the fall of Rome, it was the Catholic church. And St. Augustine, who was living at the time of the fall of Rome, and he's one of the most important Christian theologians ever. He wrote a book named City of God. And the meaning of City of God was that since Rome fell, we had to build a spiritual Rome that could exist even after Rome died. And so with that book, what you're seeing is the concept that the Catholic Church had become the heir to the fallen Roman Empire. And maybe gearing towards, towards closing here, Reflect briefly on the on the legacy of, of the Roman Empire in the sense of is this the the greatest uh, empire of all time? Is this the longest running empire of all time? Will there be nothing that 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 challenges it? How, how should we look in, in light of current you know American empire, etc.? There's two ways to look at Rome. There's the positives and there's the negatives. For one, is that Rome is one of the most impressive societies ever. They served out this tiny city-state that just conquered outwards, and they were incredibly advanced in roads, and they were incredibly, their aqueducts were incredible, and they were super well-organized, and it brought this era of peace. And so there's a lot to be tremendously grateful to the Romans for. And I think there are comparable historic empires. The Chinese are one. The British Empire did a lot of stuff. Um, the Persian Empire, the Romans sit indefinitely the top three empires in history, in my opinion. Um, the other thing is that I think we often view the Roman Empire with rose-tinted glasses, where I say this because my era of speciality is the Middle Ages. And people treat the Middle Ages like it's some Dark Age backwater, and the Romans like they were future super advanced. But Rome was a deeply corrupt slaveocracy. A quarter of the population basically were slaves who could be completely, who could be raped, tortured, killed by their masters. Rome was, Rome was actually a pretty primitive economy where it, it, medieval Europe was much more advanced than Rome in machinery, capitalism, philosophy. In a bunch of ways, medieval Europe was more advanced than Rome. And so I think, yes, Rome was an incredibly impressive society, but I also do think that the fall of Rome was necessary and that it was a good thing because if you look back upon it, with the fall of Rome, three civilizations sprung out of it. The first is Western civilization. In the broken shards of the Western Europe with the fall of the Western Empire came West, modern Western civilization. And so if you look at the things that make up the modern West, whether individualism, um, modern, modern Christianity, the idea of the free market, the university, these were all things that formed in the aftermath of the fall of Rome. Then the eastern half of the empire gradually became the eastern orthodox civilization, where you see in Greece and Russia. And then Islam is also an heir to Rome. This is something we don't think about, where the Muslims see themselves as the heirs to Rome, where 
For example, the Roman family structure and the social system, its closest parallel is in modern Islam. And so with the fall of Rome, you saw that this Roman civilization broke apart and it made these three descendants. And with the fall of Rome, you saw the creation of modern Europe and all the creativity that came out of it. And there's a book on this topic. Um, it's called Escape from Rome. And it goes through how all of the technological advances and the creation of the modern world had to come from the fall of Rome. And the, and for the Roman Empire was largely a period of stagnation. Yes, it was very advanced. Yes, they were doing a lot of cool stuff. But the Roman Empire was not advancing technologically. It was not advancing socially. And only through the breaking the empire apart could you restart and allow and allow the modern world to exist. Because otherwise, Europe would just be China. It would be this giant monolithic empire that didn't really progress, and it would be too orderly, and there wouldn't be enough chaos to see the modern world develop. Yeah. Well, that's a... Uh, Shall we, we wrap, uh, wrap this topic on, on, on that note? Yeah. Uh, for people who want to go deeper, where, where can you, uh, you, you mentioned the Gibbons book, what, what, what should people read? So the three books I'd recommend reading on this, one is Peter Brown, who I know, he's the top expert in this topic. His introduction to late antiquity is really good. The second book is Peter Heather has a book on empires, it's on my shelf now, it's empires and barbarians. And then the third book is Gibbon's Decline and Fall. And my warning with Gibbon is he's, he was writing 250 years ago, so he's a pretty difficult author. He's a beautiful writer, but it was painful for me to read. And the kind of fall of the Roman Empire is 3,000 pages. And I could only get 500 in because it's just so, it's dense. But if you're down to something dense, I definitely recommend Gibbon. So Empires and Barbarians by Peter Heather, An Introduction to Late Antiquity by Peter Brown, and then a kind and of fall of the Roman Empire by Edward Gibbon. Cool. Well, that's a, that's great to wrap. Uh, in 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 closing, uh, what what should we do for next time? Should we do a uh, early America or colonial America? That sounds like a good idea. Okay, great. Well, we'll leave the the listeners with a a cliff cliffhanger of what to expect next time. Uh, Roger, always always a pleasure. Until next time. Pleasure. Thank you very much. History one hundred and two by Roger Lynch and Eric Tornberg is a podcast from Turpentine the network behind Moment of Zen, Live Players, and Econ 102. If you liked the episode, subscribe, follow on YouTube, forward to a friend, and let us know what else you want us to cover. Thank you for listening.